This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. My life was determined by that school. Every day, I thank my parents for making the decision to send me to the school. Host Terry Kelly and former classmates share their fond memories from their time at the Halifax School for the Blind. I remember looking up at this building and thinking, I'm not staying here. It wasn't long before you felt it. well, this is my home. Tales from the Halifax School for the Blind. New episodes every first Tuesday of the month. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes the big chance. The shot is. Is this the tiger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson. Hey, what's going on? It's another edition of the neutral zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Brock. It's Friday, and it's a day off for me, so I am looking forward to a great show, and go from there. Yes, always fun. And joining us for the first time in what I've decided to be about two and a half months is the one and only Brett Wills. Brett, nice to have you back on our show. Welcome back. Brock Richardson, it's always good to join you. I'm so excited to be back. And I guess it's been a really long time because that is the first time that I've heard that introduction uh, since I've been away. It's uh, it's on point. It, it's amazing. I, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. Yes, it's a very good intro. And uh, that just tells me, Mr. Wills, that you haven't been listening to the neutral zone while you've been away. Tisk tisk there. Tisk tisk. Well, I mean, your your numbers are uh, are up there anyway. Obviously, one guy isn't going to make a difference, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I see your point, and uh, I'll go put myself in the doghouse later. That's fair. Uh, okay, let's discuss last week's uh, Twitter poll. Last week's Twitter poll question is. Have you been watching the World Series? And you know something? This poll really kind of surprises me. Uh, 29% says yes, and 71% said no. Brett, thoughts? Well, I think I've been very vocal in the last four years about my disdain for baseball. It's nothing personal. I, I do enjoy the game. I don't like the game on television. I I may have uh I may have tuned into like maybe 8 innings in, in the entire World Series. My bad. I like I said I'm putting myself in the doghouse. Josh, are you surprised by these numbers? I am actually very surprised. I thought there were more baseball fans out there, but given how the season started or did not start perhaps we should say as early as it could have, maybe that turned a bunch of baseball purists off and they just chose not to watch the world series i'm not sure but yeah 71 percent seems very high to me yeah so that's uh an interesting uh poll result for sure uh this week's twitter poll question was in light of having brian burke uh last week have you checked out brian burke's new book called burke's law a life in hockey 
yes or no are your choices and also no i'm but i'm planning on it so that is your twitter poll question for this week and we're gonna have Stephen brunt next week who was also part of uh writing that book so look forward for that with that let's get into this week's headlines for the first time since 1988, the Los Angeles Dodgers have won the World Series. How is the city of Los Angeles celebrating? Alex Stone gives us the details. L.A.'s iconic City Hall, seen in so many movies and TV shows, is lit up in blue. Downtown Skyscraper is lit up in blue as well. The pylons outside of LAX are glowing blue. This city is celebrating the win, the first World Series title for the Dodgers in 32 years. Last time was 1988. Around L.A., people are firing off unofficial illegal fireworks celebrating the win. I'm not overly surprised that the Dodgers won. I think they were probably the better hitting team and runs win you World Series, it would appear. I am happy to see that Kershaw gets his World Series. I think he's overdue. And congratulations, L.A. However, the title is being overshadowed by Los Angeles Dodgers player Justin Turner. Alex Stone explains why. Major League Baseball now saying that when the positive test came back, Turner was placed into isolation, but that he chose to disregard the agreed-upon joint protocols and the instructions he was given. MLB is calling Turner's decision wrong and saying that when MLB security raised the matter of being on the field with Turner, that he emphatically refused to comply. MLB is now launching an investigation, and neither the Rays nor Dodgers can travel home until health authorities give them the okay. Alex Stone, ABC News. Los Angeles. I like Justin Turner. I think he's a great baseball player. And in fact, he's a free agent this summer, or sorry, this winter. I would love to have him as a Toronto Blue Jay. I just think he made a bad mistake and eventually he's going to pay for it. The Arizona Republic reports that Arizona Coyotes prospect Mitchell Miller was charged with assault and violating the Ohio Safe Schools Act in February of 2016 after he and another student admitted to bullying classmate Isaiah Meyer Crothers, a black classmate who also has a learning disability. Subsequently, the Coyotes have relinquished the rights to Mitchell Miller, and the University of North Dakota has announced that he is no longer a part of their school's men's university hockey team. I'm glad to see this because, as we've probably all experienced, bullying is just wrong and should not be condoned in any fashion. Uh, it will be interesting to see what the remaining fallout will be. The longtime Edmonton Oilers and Edmonton Football Club, uh, Joey Moss, has passed away at the age of 57. Joey Moss had Down syndrome and suffered from dementia. He was a beloved individual in the uh, dressing rooms of both clubs and is iconic for belting out the Canadian National Anthem during an Edmonton Oilers game. Travis Roy, who was paralyzed 11 seconds into his first collegiate game 25 years ago, sparked a lifetime of advocacy for spinal cord research, has passed away. He was 45. I didn't know the Travis Roy story until very, very recently. By all accounts, he was a good guy who, like the story says, was an advocate for spinal cord research, and he was beloved in the hockey collegiate uh, community in the United States. He will be sorely missed. 
Those are your headlines for this week. And uh, always love that segment. Coming up next, we're going to speak to Bryce Parker, who is raising money for Ontario Blind Sports Association in light of their gala being cancelled earlier this year. We're going to find out what he's doing right after the break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base right at CP Buchanan 13. Claire picks up the ball, throws it over the first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to our program we call The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Brett Wills. We are pleased to be joined by Bryce Parker, who is a goalball athlete, but is also raising money in support of Ontario Blind Sports and their recent cancellation due to COVID-19 and their yearly gala. Bryce, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us today. How's it going, guys? Doing well, thank you. Can you start off by telling us a bit about how you got involved in the sport of goalball? Yeah, so I started goalball about 15 years ago when I was about seven years old. It started off with me uh, attending uh, Ontario Blind Sports uh, Summer Sports Camp and learning about the sport there. Uh, shortly after that, a couple years later, I would go to W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind and offered a spot to go try out for the high school goalball team and since then it's kind of been history just continue on the journey of it Bryce you decided to walk from Brantford to London which is approximately 100 kilometers in support of OBSA can you take us through the process of your idea and how it's become a reality yeah so the idea of it basically was to I wanted to bring awareness to goalball. I wanted to bring awareness to blind sports in general because it's not not too many people know about it. So I wanted to bring a general, all better sense of it to everyone. Um, so that was basically the idea of it. But then bringing it to reality, the reality was just kind of months of uh, planning, and it really couldn't have come true without volunteers and people donating their uh, money and time to making this actually happen for us. Was there a particular reason you decided to choose 100 kilometers for the fundraiser? That's a long distance. Yeah, no, no specific reason. Uh, the best way I could describe it is I'm always looking for a, a new challenge for myself, and 100 kilometers is nothing I've ever remotely close to the uh, walk to, so I thought I would try that. Bryce, is there a significance uh, with, the, with Brantford to London? 
I like to consider it as a trip down memory lane because Brantford's where it all started for me. It's where I found out about global. It's where about, I found out about blind sports. And now I'm actually uh, living in London. So I like to think of it as a trip down memory lane from the start to the current present. We're joined by Bryce Parker, who's a goalball athlete and uh, going to be doing a 100-kilometer walk from Brentford to London in support of OBSA. What date have you chosen for this fundraising walk, and when do you anticipate the start and finish to be? So we're starting uh, next weekend on November 7th. So we're doing it two days, November 7th and 8th. It will be starting at about 9 a.m. on November 7th, walking for about between 35 to 50 kilometers that day and then continuing the rest early uh, Sunday morning. Bryce, I think the million-dollar question is, why choose Ontario Blind Sports Association? Ontario Blind Sports has done absolutely everything for me. They've helped me reach new goals and realize new dreams for me. They've helped me grow as an athlete so much, so I want to give back to them. I want to help other athletes grow and become the best that they can be. And once people hear about this fundraising walk, I'm sure they're going to want to support you. How are they best able to do that? Where can they go to contribute? So we have a GoFundMe page uh, that's called Walk with OBSA. Uh, you can go donate there, or if you prefer to contact someone uh, directly, you can always contact Richard at blindsports.on.ca. Bryce, I'm interested to know, how have you gotten yourself ready to do this this walk? I mean, as Brett alluded to earlier, it's a long walk. Yeah, I more or less like to think of it as more of a mental game than a physical game. Uh, especially because it's so long and during. Um, so I've been kind of prepping myself, visualizing. I've been walking every day, increasing the mileage that I'm doing and whatever it takes because uh, I'm not going to stop until I finish. That is uh, totally fair. Um, what What did it mean to you when you found out that the gala this year was uh, canceled? I thought it was very sad because it's always a great event. And I figured we should still try getting the most out of it this year, even though we have all these new restrictions and everything. So let's make the best of it and make something of it. Do you have an overall goal as to, like, how much money you hope to raise? So, so far we've raised up to 1000 but we are currently looking at hopefully going up to about 5000 Awesome. Well, Bryce, we wish you all the best in your uh, next weekend in the walk uh, from Brentford to London. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on today's program and uh, letting us publicize what you're doing. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was uh, Bryce Parker, who is going to be doing a fundraiser in support of uh, OBSA, walking 100 kilometers, Brentford to London. Gentlemen, have you ever been so inclined to do a fundraiser like this? Brett, start with you. The only thing I can ever or think about that I've ever done in uh, that's come close to that is probably 
13 kilometers from my house in Oakville when I used to live in Oakville to my aunt's house in Burlington on a hand bike. And uh, that was many, many years ago. I was probably still in high school and it was probably 30 or 40 pounds ago. I don't think I could do it. I, I genuinely don't think I could do it. As a wheelchair user, I don't think there's any chance that I would be able to do it. Uh, I remember when I was younger participating in the Terry Fox run, and certainly that was uh, 10 kilometers, and that at the time felt pretty far to me. Um, as, as Brett said for himself, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. That was probably 30 to 40 pounds ago at least. Um, I, I certainly applaud Bryce for what he's doing and the fact that he wants to help to raise funds for OBSA. Um, I think all of us know what a great organization it is. So kudos to him, and I hope he hits his $5,000 goal. Yeah, as do I. And actually the thing you said about the uh, Terry Fox run was uh, my recollection of doing anything remotely like that. I mean, I, I have the luxury of being in a power chair. And so, I, I mean, for me, I don't even think it would be doable in, in a manual chair, let alone, uh, uh, you know, doing it 100 kilometers. That's a long way. So best of luck to Bryce, as we said. And uh, we'll we'll see if he gets to his goal. And maybe we'll have him on uh, post uh, the event and see how things went. With that, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be joined by uh, Ken Hall, who is the director of Para Ice Hockey for the Cruiser Sports. Following that, we're going to be joined by Ben Nicholson-Smith, who's going to tell us about the World Series and wrap it up for us. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Neutral Zone. We'll be back. six ways to get in touch with the neutral zone on twitter number one at ami audio number two at neutral zone br number three at neutral zone brett number four at neutral zone cam j number five at cp buchanan 13 and number six at j watson 200 now get out there and tweet one for the gipper Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Brett Wills. And joining us now is uh, Director of Para Ice Hockey for the Cruiser Sports, Ken Hall. Mr. Hall, welcome back to our program. Thank you for having me. Ken, when did you it become apparent that the Cruiser's Cup was not going to be running for 2020-2021? Uh, you know, I'd, I, I held out hope until a bitter end. Um, but probably two months ago, was uh, we knew then it was just, gonna, just not going to happen with all the restrictions. And we understand that the Cruiser's Cup is going to be going virtual this year. Could you tell us a little bit about the virtual event and how it came to be? Uh, 
what it is is what we've done is we've devised, or I guess we've come up with uh, eight different skills, or or uh, yeah, I guess skills with five different age groups. Um, and what we're what we're hoping to do is uh, have uh, kids as young as six, and then right up through national level players participate in it. Um, they would enter if they go online. They see uh, the contest they can do. They videotape it. They submit the results onto the website, and then our goal is that this goes around the world, and that we rank everybody around the world, so that people could actually say, "I'm the fastest nine-year-old skater in the world for para ice hockey." So that's our goal. Hey Ken, when uh, or where can people go to learn more about the Cruisers Cup virtual event? If they go on to uh, cruisers-sports.com, right on the first page at the bottom, there's a link to the 2020 Virtual Cruisers Cup. They click on that. Uh, it takes them to the digital page, and then you can see the tech package. You can explain uh, how it works, um, the entry groups, uh, the events, the rules. Um, the best thing about this whole thing, it's free. And if a team goes in it, they, they get 10% off next year's Cruiser Cup entry. We're joined by Ken Hall, who's the director of Para Ice Hockey for the Cruiser Sports. If you're listening to the Neutral Zone, I'm Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Brett Wills. Ken, you did touch on what I think is the ultimate goal for the organization in making this event virtual, but are there other goals that we're hoping to reach by doing this? Uh, I think, you know, we always want to bring awareness to the sport. We always want to bring awareness um, to the Cruiser Cup. Uh, I guess our end goal is to attract more teams uh, across the country and internationally. And we think this is a good entry point for them uh, to be introduced to both the club and the event. Ken, I know it's really early, and um, I'm sure you don't have numbers uh, per se, as to how many teams have signed up for it. But do you have an idea of how many teams you want to have sign up for it or how many teams have already signed up for it? Um, they don't sign up until they make a submission, which which opens up November 1st. Um, but I we have sent it out to every team that we know across Canada and the U.S. And we've asked other teams to um, pass it on forward. I know I've spoken to a number of Russian teams that are – quite interested in making sure that their kids get a, uh, an entry into this. So it's, it's quite exciting to see how fast it can spread, and we're really hopeful that it uh, literally goes around the world. Ken, I'm interested to know, how did you um, determine the events that, you know, you would have for people to participate in? Um, we tried to make it as easy as possible to enter, so then we looked at what can we possibly do? What's an event that people could do that's easy to record, easy to time, you know, wasn't too confusing to set up. So we just literally took four skating drills and four shooting drills and expanded upon that. And then, like I say, kept it as simple as possible. And then our goal is that everyone does it and has a great time doing it. And what's the outlook uh, for the event in uh 2021, are we optimistic there's a date for it? Like, where are you yeah. at with 2021? <laughs> I am, I'm always optimistic. 
Um, whether it's going to happen or not, um, that's a good question. We are definitely planning for it. Um, I can tell you the date would be November, uh, where are we here? 5th to 7th in 2021. That's our goal. And if people wanted to volunteer for that event or any other future events that the cruisers uh, have, could you remind our listeners where they could go to do so? Uh, again, they can go right to our uh, website, cruisers-sports.com, and they can go on there and uh, fill out as a volunteer. Um, there's a, uh, On the homepage, there's a link to volunteering. There's also a link to just general questions, which they can go to, and they can get lots of help there. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. That is Ken Hall, who's the director of Para Ice Hockey for the Cruiser Sports, and he was telling us about their event going virtual. Again, go to uh, Cruiser Sports uh, to find out all the details, but there is lots of stuff, and there is a... uh, Lots of good information, and it's uh, accessible for all, so it should be right there for you when you need it. Coming up next, we're going to speak with uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith, who is going to wrap up the uh, World Series, and we may even get into some mainstream sports talk also. So stay with us. We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I am Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Brett Wills. Well, Brett, as we alluded to earlier, you have not been on the air in quite a bit of time, and lots of things have happened in the uh, sports world. I'd like to give you the floor and, and, you know, give us your take on what you saw and maybe some of the things you haven't been able to uh, give us a hot take on that I know you're dying to do so. You know, I I kind of figured that uh, you were going to put me on the spot, but um, yeah, there's been so much that's been going on, even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, we've got uh, obviously the world series just wrapped up and then the Stanley cup finals, uh, finished up which is great i i definitely missed my hockey during uh the time that they were put on hold for a bit um nascar was the first thing to start back up uh after uh the they announced that there was a pandemic it um it, it's been pretty great i i'm uh, i'm catching up on some nfl football because obviously we didn't have any cfl football this year it's just it's it's been a fun time to be a sports fan, even though we're watching it from a different perspective and with different circumstances all over the place. So is there is there like one sort of sport that you 
feel did the best job as far as like the bubble and things like that? Like, would you have a say as to you think this bubble did better than that bubble? I was going to suggest that baseball did great up until the Justin Turner thing. So I'm going to have to go with the NHL. But I have to tell you, and this was a closely guarded secret. I'm letting everybody that's listening know I've become a NASCAR fan because, admittedly, that was the only thing on television for the longest time after everything started back up again. Yeah, it's. Uh, I also have never been a NASCAR uh, guy until I realized how riveting it really is. I mean, you sit there and you think, well, they're just kind of taking left turns, left turns again, left turns again. But it really is um, a fascinating sport. And I love the, you know, the blown tires, the, the, the crashes, as long as everyone's safe, of course. But uh, that's, that's my thing. Um, overall, I just, you know, sports has kind of been at the forefront for us. I want to dive into the Justin Turner thing and the World Series. We, we talked about it a little bit on the headlines, but Josh, I kind of want to give you the floor to kind of tell me what you think of uh, Justin Turner and what happened there. This is a really hard thing for me, not because I think what he did was right. There's absolutely no way that you can say it was right, but I kind of get into his head a little bit and it's like, you're still a fairly young baseball player. You've reached the top of the mountain, so to speak, even if it is in a weird Corona kind of shortened season bubble mess, but you just won the world series. You've done what you wanted to do since you were a little kid. And I, I don't think it's in any way acceptable what he did, but I kind of get it. I kind of understand his thought process. Like I just won the world series. I'm going to go celebrate with my team. Having said that, I, I question the, the, thought process and the not taking in others into account, I guess. But yeah, very, very tough situation for me to kind of wrap my head around just because I want to be upset with him for putting people in danger, but I also get it. Brett, I know you have thoughts. Yeah, no, I do have thoughts. And, you know, Josh just said it perfectly. So I'm going to end with three words. What an idiot. Fair <laughs> enough. Now, can I, I'm going to, I'm going to present devil's advocate on this one. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play this game. Please I'm going to ask you how much of this, Josh, we'll start with you and then we'll move to Brett. How much of this do you put on the MLB. The reason I ask this is quite simply they let him play for six innings before they pull them off the field. Like does some of this not have to wear on major league baseball? I'm glad you brought that up because yes, I do think so. I do believe that if someone has a positive or an inconclusive test, that they should not have been allowed into the ballpark. Having said that, 
we're still learning about the virus. We're still developing tests for it. I'm sure there are still issues with those tests being accurate to a degree. But if you're even possibly a carrier of this potentially deadly virus, then I think you you really have to be isolated and you have to just not be put in that situation where you can be a part of a celebration after a win. As sad as it is for him, because you would hate for him to miss it, but you're putting lives in danger potentially. If not your own or your teammates, then certainly staff of the ballpark, staff of Major League Baseball, fans, who knows. Brett? You know, I, I, I think I've made it perfectly clear. Uh, Justin Turner, great baseball player, wonderful third baseman. You you want him on your your baseball team. I, I hope the Jays actually look into trying to sign him. But he, he, he made a mistake. It was a really bad, bad call. Um, uh, you you, you kind of have to blame Major League Baseball. Um, Rob Manfred, I'm not a fan for that reason and a bunch of, bunch of other reasons that night specifically. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, it, but if you point the finger at one person, one uh one team or one group of people, you have to point a finger at everybody because it, it just, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't set out properly from, from the get go. If, uh, if they were concerned about him uh, early enough, why did they make or let him play? Yeah. I, for me, I just, the whole thing uh, just doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, to me at all, I think that you're right, Brett, in the sense that you you do have to point the finger in in all directions. That's why when I when I posed it, I said, do the, does MLB have to wear part of this? Because I think a lot of things uh, have to wear it. I think when you go back to even looking at you know the the baseball security, you need to find a way to stop him from going on the field in order to protect everybody everybody on on the field broadcasters reporters players all of those things and i just think that's kind of where they failed a little bit and and i'll be honest with you guys i don't think anyone thought that um baseball would would go through i think rob manfred kind of got the oh good job you got this finished and then that happened and to me Dosh, this puts a, a real black mark on on Rob Manfred, and uh, I don't know. Does he does he suffer any consequences from it, Josh? Does Rob Manfred or does Justin Turner? I think Justin Turner is going to end up with a fine or a suspension of some sort for this action. As for Rob Manfred, I don't know. I. I gotta be honest. I really don't how, know. How, sorry, how can you not know? Because I mean, you you saw presumably. I'm assuming you saw the the uh, the World Series trophy presentation and how blitzed he looked at the end of the at the end of the game. Am I, and am I suggesting that that had an 
had a place in his decision? No, but it, it could have. Maybe so. Um, all I'm saying is from a Rob Manford perspective, I'm not sure what consequences there will be. Is it a black eye? Absolutely. The, uh, the, the league had had no positive Corona cases until the very end. And that's, that's just sad. And you have to ask the question, how did he contract it if he was in the bubble and following protocol and all the rest of it? So there are certainly questions to be asked. Will there be long-term consequences for baseball? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. For, for me, for, for me, and I think this is where Brett's, uh, Brett's going, the, the buck stops with Rob Manfred. The, bu- the buck stops with Rob Manfred. Yes, there's uh, who knows how many people in between him and Justin Turner. But at the end of the day, he is the man where it starts and stops. And I, I mm-hmm. for me, for me, I look at this and I think it's it's got to be partially on uh, Rob Manfred. And with that, we're going to actually bring our guest in uh, mid mid conversation here. We're joined by Ben Nicholson Smith. Ben, welcome to the program, and thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we jump into our questions. We were talking before you joined us about how uh, the Justin Turner situation, there's a bunch of people that should, uh, should you know, take some blame for this, including Justin Turner. How much do you believe that the commissioner needs to be blamed on this as well? Well, I think any time that you're talking about uh, a breach of protocol, then ultimately that does go up to the commissioner. And so even if he wasn't the person who was charged with making sure that Justin Turner didn't return to the field, then he still has some responsibility for it because that's under his oversight. So even if he had, you know, found a way to make sure, or one of his lieutenants had found a way to make sure that Justin Turner was going to stay in a room within the clubhouse, isolated from other people and not return to the field under any circumstances, then that that would have been certainly possible if you have the authority of the commissioner of baseball, and it would have been a lot safer than what we ended up seeing. And Ben, getting into the the World Series itself, I'm curious, where does this World Series rank in your opinion as far as an entertainment value? I thought it was really entertaining, you know, and it's it's hard. It was hard to know going into this season just how compelling the product on the field would be in the midst of a pandemic with no fans in the stands. And you know what? From the beginning of the season all the way to the World Series, I thought the quality of baseball was good. And there were certainly moments where you could notice, I mean, when the Marlins and Cardinals had their outbreaks and they started rostering basically anyone they could find on waivers. I mean, maybe in those moments it didn't quite look like Major League Baseball. But for the most part, I thought the quality of play was really good. And I think that in the World Series, the quality of play was excellent. When you had players like Mookie Betts making great catches, Cody Bellinger taking big swings, Blake Snell and Clayton Kershaw making big pitches. I mean, this was, in my opinion, a really compelling World Series as far as the action between the lines. And that's, you know, I guess a little bit of a silver lining after a season that in so many ways was, was such a trying and difficult one. Hey, Ben, on and around July 20th, you posted something 
on your Instagram about where the Blue Jays were going to play. There was a, there was talk about Camden Yards, and I, I replied to you, and I said, at least if they chose Camden Yards, the chance of a quote-unquote home team finishing above 500 is significantly increased. And we had a short back and forth, and you, you said, ha-ha, true. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for responding to me. That that was uh, probably the highlight of my July. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that I was able to, to provide a little bit of uh... – uh, uh, entertainment or conversation there. So uh, thank you for following and for reading. Uh, so my, uh, a follow-up question that I have for you is, were you surprised that the Tampa Bay-Los Angeles series was as competitive as it was? Um, I would say not surprised, um, but but certainly pleased uh, that it was as competitive as it was. I mean, I think going into to any World Series, it, because it's such a, a small sample of games, you never know. I mean, there always could be a sweep, and and that's you know for baseball fans, I think it's just a little bit less compelling when you have a series end so quickly. So I, I'm always hoping for it to go six or seven games, and I was I was yeah I wouldn't say surprised, but definitely pleased to see that the, the teams went back and forth, and we had that one great comeback in Game Four with Brett Phillips hitting a single up the middle off Jansen, and the the crazy misplays that led to that win, and you know, ultimately a pretty evenly contested World Series, even though the Dodgers came out ahead. Now, of course, we can't talk about the World Series and these two teams without talking a little bit about analytics. Um, I know that they are a part of the game, but with Kevin Cash's decision to put Blake Snell out of the game after five and two-thirds, were you as surprised as I was? I, I was pretty surprised. Yeah, I, I was surprised in a way because he was pitching so well at that point, and he only had one runner on too. So it's not like we're talking about you know bases loaded and nobody out. Like it's just a man on first base. So not exactly a situation that's totally desperate. But you know, then again, when you look at the way the Rays handle their pitching staff, they are a team that loves to mix and match. Blake Snell is not a guy who holds a lot of innings. I mean, you look back at his 2020 season, and he topped out his season high, including the playoffs, was only five and two-thirds. So, it, you know, in that sense, maybe we should have seen it coming that the, the Rays would be a, a likely team to pull a guy even when he is pitching well, even before he starts to falter. But obviously it didn't work out for the Rays. It didn't work out for Kevin Cash, and now we're, you know, they're, they're a team now that has to sit with that decision and, and probably – regret it in some ways for for a long time we're joined by ben ben nicholson smith a writer for sportsnet you're listening to the neutral zone i'm joined by josh watson and brett wills and of course i'm your host brock richardson and speaking of kevin cash how much heat do you think he will be getting or has gotten for his decision to pull blake snell either by the organization or by fans i, I think he will get a ton of heat and is getting a ton of heat from fans and even from media pundits and columnists across, across the States and Canada. I think that's, that's absolutely true. And it's when a decision goes wrong like that in the biggest moments of your season, you're, you got to face that. That's part of the job of being a manager. And that's, and that's one of the hardest things I imagine about being a manager is facing that kind of criticism. Now, as for the internal reaction to it my guess is that the raised front office will look at this 
very much from the same perspective that Cash did as he was making that decision. And so in that sense, I don't think that he'll get pushback from his bosses. I think that they will look at this and say, this is how we mapped it out. This is how we got to this point. We got to Game 6 in the World Series by being aggressive, by being proactive, and taking some chances that other teams wouldn't take. So I think that the outside and inside reactions would be very different. Uh, now, do you think that his job is stay- safe for now? or I do think so, yeah. And and you know what? Like, Obviously that decision didn't work out, but when, when I think back to the entire postseason and the way that he was able to manage, um, you know, against the Yankees, against the Astros, against the Blue Jays. Yeah, I thought he was consistently making really good decisions. So that's that's just one person's perspective, and, and you know, I understand certainly there are a lot of people out there who disagree and, and maybe who think that Kevin Cash was helping out the Dodgers in the course of that World Series. But for me, I actually think he's a great tactical manager, and so I would hope that his job status is, is pretty certain and stable. It's been reported that Commissioner Manfred is hopeful that this playoff format stays around. Do you think that's the best decision for Major League Baseball? Well, you know, it's, you're always walking a line, right, especially when you talk about a 162-game season. I don't think you can have 16 teams make it in a 162. I mean, that's, that's just too much. It's more than half the sport. And, and from what I've seen, and maybe I've, maybe I've missed more recent comments, but from what I've seen, Manfred has said that he's not expecting – Um, 16 teams in again. So that means if you're expanding it from 10, you're either looking at 10 or 12. And so, or or, excuse me, you're either looking at 12 or 14. And to me, 12 is a nice number. I mean, if you, if you have 12, you could, you could do a lot of different things. And one of the ideas that I like is having essentially an extra wildcard team in each league. So you have your three division winners, you have three wildcard teams. And what would happen in my iteration of things would be you have Seeds number two and three, wildcard teams number two and three, play each other in a one-game playoff. And then the winner of that, the very next day, goes and travels to play the number one wildcard seed. Another one-game playoff follows there. Then you're right into the division series. So I think that would be super, super fun. I think it would create a lot of intrigue down the stretch for teams. But I know everyone has different ideas on this, and so I'm not expecting that to be universally uh, you know, adopted by, by everyone who looks at, this, at these options. And switching gears very quickly, uh, we're talking about the Blue Jays for a second. Uh, I keep hearing the name Colton Wong, and I'm wondering how you feel about Colton Wong and or if there's anybody that you keep hearing about that may be added to this Blue Jays roster coming into next season. Yeah, Colton Wong's a good one, right? You look at, I mean, year over year, he's he's pretty consistent. Usually he'll, he'll hit for a pretty good average, give you really good defense at second base, get on base, um, and, and typically he's worth two or three wins above replacement. So that's a player who could help the Blue Jays for sure. And he could play second. You could move Kevin Biggio over to third base in that scenario or just have Biggio move around the diamond, as he often did this past season. So there are a lot of ways you can make it fit. I expect the Blue Jays will at least check on Colton Wong and see if he is, uh, you know, amenable to going to Toronto if he's interested, what he wants. I think that's a conversation they'll have. But, I mean, as, as you guys know, that the Jays, like so many teams in baseball, are very, very thorough. So they're going to check on a lot of different players. They're not going to get fixated on one person at the expense of others. They're going to cast a very wide net and see where that leads them. Just briefly, 
I know this was a strange season and a strange playoff, but I found it quite surprising to see as many bullpen days, quote unquote, as we did this year. Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue where teams only have two or three starters and then rely on their bullpens? I do think so. I think in the playoffs in particular, we'll see teams behave like the Dodgers did, you know, in the way that they use Gonsolin or Dustin May, um, even Urias. I mean, those were not traditional starting roles for those guys. Um, the Rays, of course, did the same thing at times with Yarbrough, Thompson, um, their their whole crew. So I think in the playoffs we see that. I think in the regular season we'll see some of that because there will be days that a starter has an unexpected injury or someone goes on bereavement leave and you just don't have time to call someone up. And so out of necessity, you're going to do some bullpen games and probably with a bit more comfort and familiarity than we would have seen five or ten years ago in the game. But I just think, you know, in the grind of 162, if it is indeed a 162-game schedule next year, I just I don't know that you can do that too often or else you're just going to tax your bullpen a lot. Hey, Ben, finish this sentence for me. I will be happy if the Jays finish blank. Uh, in 2000, okay, next year, I mean, the finish to me is probably less. I just think you got to get in. I think you got to get in the, into the playoffs. So if that's a first-place finish, they'll be happy. But if it's a wild card and you're the, you're the final wild card team and you barely make it in, kind of like they did this year, I still think that's fine. I mean, I, I think you want, now that they've made it to the playoffs, you want to build on that. You want to keep making it to the playoffs. So to me, it's less about the finish in the division. I think it's, it's probably more, do they make the playoffs or not? Very fair. And I actually agree with your sentiments, Ben. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview today. We greatly appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. Great questions and a good conversation, guys. So have a great weekend, and thanks for having me on. You're welcome, and we hope to have you on again in the future. That was Ben Nicholson-Smith, who's a writer for Sportsnet. He was filling us in on the World Series and baseball in and of itself. Brett, very quickly, do you think the Bills win against the New England Patriots on Sunday? Not only do they win, but they slaughter them. That coming from a real Buffalo Bills fan, folks. You can check check out that game on Sunday, of course, with NFL on the weekend. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank Josh Watson, Brett Wills. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Matt Agnew. Our technical uh, supervisor is Paula Deneen, and our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.